everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Metaportal podcast. I'm AG, your host, and uh, as always, Dark Porous Capital is uh, here with me, co-hosting the show. And uh, today we are super excited to talk to Jiho from Sky Mavis, the, the studio behind Axie Infinity. We've kind of been in the ecosystem playing and, and talking to the team a little bit here and there for probably about six months now and really excited to, to have Jiho on and, and talk about the game and, and play to earn space more broadly. Jiho, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. It's uh, It's been, yeah, thanks for the invite. Really, really excited to be here. And it's been awesome getting to know you guys over the last, uh, yeah, six months or so. Yeah, it's it's been a fascinating journey for, um, I think, for you guys, but as well as kind of for us with the Metaverse Index and also just observing and trying to participate in the ecosystem. So uh, definitely kudos on everything that uh, you guys have built and accomplished so far. And I know you have great plans for the future. Um, look, I think there's like a lot of podcast episodes and, and shows about us, about Axie Infinity out there. So I'm going to skip some of the, I guess, more uh, generic questions and kind of cut straight to it. So could you could you give us maybe a bit of an update on kind of what what is happening in the in the Axie Infinity universe at the moment and maybe you know we can talk about like player trends and um yeah like access in in the treasury and some of the more uh hard stats around the ecosystem yeah sure so i'm just gonna pull up my my growth sheet and i fill this out every monday we're still growing so so daily active users has been growing you know between 10 to 5 percent for the last three weeks so we We've grown um, from yeah, basically so thirty. We were at thirty-eight thousand players in April, right? Daily active users in April for context, and we're now at one point eight million. So it's uh, Monday printed one million seven hundred ninety-three thousand eight hundred uh, daily active users. That was an increase of seven point five percent from last week, um, which printed one point six seven million uh, DAU. Uh, yeah, um, you know, r right now, uh, ETH in the Treasury is uh, at thirty three thousand four hundred, so still growing at around five percent per week. Um, and access tokens in the Treasury is at seventeen point uh, five million. Um, notably, this is almost around like thirty. Let's see, is about thirty percent of circulating supply is actually locked in the Treasury right now, right from from breeding fees. Um, so I think that's, uh, that's been really uh, amazing to see that uh, escalate. And obviously the, yeah, the treasury is getting larger uh, kind of by the week. And I think people are super excited to see what we do with that in the future, uh, I guess, as a community and as access token holders. Growth is definitely moderating a little bit. Um, we were growing, you know, 40, 30% per week uh, at, at some points in, uh, June and and July, uh, but yeah, you know, obviously you can't grow exponentially all, all the time. Um, we are uh, we're also working on a on a kind of flurry of infrastructure upgrades that are going to allow us to, to to go to go a bit faster um, as well. Um, so yeah, I think we're right now and we're kind of this coiling phase where right we're consolidating some of the the growth 
uh, th that we saw over the summer and we're getting ready for, I think, a flurry of launches that are going to unlock right the next you know, five to 10 million users over the next 12 months or so. Yeah, and would you say it's fair to say that kind of the, the moderation and growth, the, the slowdown in the gross daily active users is sort of like intentional, right? It's like, you're not trying to grow at 30, 40% again at this point uh, because of some of the things you're working on, infrastructural limitations, whatever, whatever it is. Um, is that a fair way to sort of characterize the situation right now? Uh, we could have been a little bit more aggressive, I think, on uh, balancing the the SLP economy, for example. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're getting ready uh, for, for a flurry of infrastructure upgrades. So that's actually why we last night we made an economic adjustment, which should allow us to grow uh, a bit faster again. Um, so yeah, we're, we're definitely in a little bit of a holding pattern where, you know, we're working on Right, we're working on the decks. We're working on infrastructure upgrades. And we're working on battles V two. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think you know we we so like actually for three years now we've kind of we've thought about this right this idea of like why our how our growth is cyclical right so it's like a lot of the time we're preparing right like we're gathering tinder uh, you know gathering the ingredients necessary to light an, another fire. Right. And I think that's kind of what we're what phase we're in right now. And we're preparing for uh, yeah, some really, really exciting launches. So yeah, I think these are also like amazing times for the community to uh, kind of get become more close knit, get to know each other, just enjoy playing the game um, and, and, and let us right, kind of uh, focusing on focus on uh, the next uh, round of content upgrades. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I think something you, you, you mentioned was around like the assets in the treasury and um, there are two things there that sort of stood out to me. First off, like the, the sheer size of the treasury at this point, right? And second is the percentage of circulating supply of ASX locked up in the treasury. Um, how, what's the latest like thinking or, or status on how those assets are gonna be utilized and also i assume the sky mavis team still um will make those decisions around utilization of treasury assets in the near term future at least i think i mean we're in no rush uh we're in no rush with with regards to the treasury i think dow management dow coordination tools i think are in it in their infancy um you guys are doing an amazing job i think of very showing uh the path forward for a community-run project um so yeah we're, we're gonna you know we're, we're not gonna i think with in, with regards to dow infrastructure we're not gonna try and i think be at the bleeding edge um, per se i think what we can do is you know we'll observe and and, and learn a lot from from what, what what others are doing and then we'll be able to apply that i think probably at a scale um that is larger than almost everybody else. So, yeah, uh, it's it, it's yeah, I'm I'm excited. I think, uh, but yeah, we're, we're, we still have a long way to go, um, and, and I think we're learning. So, I guess I guess you know maybe this isn't a super crystal clear answer, but I think that's also okay, right? We're we're yeah. learning, um, we're learning, and we're watching, and um, I think people you know people understand right that the this treasury is going to accrue value to the community somehow, right? Definitely. Is there a point um, in terms of percent of circulating supply where it becomes an issue for you guys? 
Um, or is they like is they thinking that the staking is going to be unlocked fairly soon, uh, which will increase the circulating supply, which will reduce that percentage? Yeah. So so yeah, this is something that we're looking at, especially when we're doing the economic adjustments, right? So I mean, this is also why we reduce the we reduce the amount of access used in the breeding fee back from two access per breed to one access last night. Um, so we can always adjust it downward if right like so, so, so basically right if if most of the supply gets locked in the treasury the price will probably go up right so this is basically the, yeah we can we can adjust it by reducing the amount um but yeah we're also looking forward to uh, to staking to yeah kind of get 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 more access out and um into the ecosystem and into our community's hands again as well so from my understanding right like the decks the battles v2 and staking are being worked on sort of concurrently. Um, is there- As well as land, as well as land, yeah. As <laughs> we well as land. <laughs> is, there, um, is there prioritization or is it more like we work on all of this stuff and whatever gets, wherever we get, we get there first is getting released? I think, I mean, so we have basically the way that we do it is we have, we're blessed to, you know, have uh, many, many people uh, at Sky Mavis. So we have internal squads that break up um and uh so yeah like each squad you know they have a priority to, to to push forward a certain product um or a certain initiative so i i guess like right I, i'm not going to necessarily talk in terms of priority but i can talk in terms of pipeline if that makes sense right so it's like we have access staking we have the ronin index uh we have battles v2 aka origin these are the things that are near the top of the pipeline um right uh, land and upgrading the marketplace. Um, these are these are a little bit farther away, I would say, <laughs> or maybe maybe much much farther away. Got it, got it. Okay. Um, so I think that that sets like a good stage for you know understanding where Axie is currently at. Um, I'd love to talk to you about like some of the future growth areas, right? And specifically, like, so far, um, I think Axie is very heavy in the Philippines and Southeast Asia. Um, it's getting traction in South America. But when, when, you, when you think of, like, you know, the daily active users are going to grow from, call it 1.8 million to 10 million within the next six months, right? Where do you see that growth coming from, like, geographically? Do you see it through existing markets or unlocking sort of new markets? Maybe it's India or, or, or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's a combination, right? I mean, so the amazing thing about the Axie ecosystem is, a, is that it's a broad coalition of people that all love Axie Infinity and want it to succeed and want it to grow. And so we have players in every single continent or every single country on earth, except for North Korea. Um, right, obviously a lot of the people who, okay, so if you define playing Axie as playing the battle game, right? Uh, a lot of our players are definitely from right, emerging markets and we expect that to continue. Uh, we're, we're super excited about that trend. But a lot of the people who play Axie, right? Their way of playing Axie is by creating content, uh, building tools, being a good community member, tweeting about Axie, right? Collecting Axies and, or being really intense about the PVP battle system, right? There's so many different user archetypes. Uh, so yes, a lot of the scholars, right? Uh, are coming from these emerging markets but a lot of the scholarship managers and all those other archetypes that I just mentioned, right? These are coming from 
a really, really broad array of markets. And so I've been in New York and, and, uh, and I've been meeting people who, right, like they might not play the game uh, if you define the game as the card battle system, but they own scholars, they love Axie, they're super excited about it, right? They're members of the community, right? So I think like the, the, one, of the secret, one of the secrets maybe of Axie's success is that there's basically a way for anyone to contribute to this network. Um, and it's just a fun community to be a part of. So there are a lot of people who are part of the community who might not even right interact with the uh, game on a daily basis. That's interesting, right? Because in my mind, um, if you think about like scholar um, and manager, right, archetypes, mm -hmm. you need more scholars for managers to be successful, right? And then more scholars leads to to, to more managers. So it's like you can't grow the manager cohort that is probably mostly in the Western developed countries um, without growth in the, in the scholar cohort that is mostly like in the, in the emerging markets. Um, so yeah, like the, the, the question really is um, from, from, from my perspective, like the, the growth of the ecosystem does still heavily rely on the growth in, in the actual players of the game. And uh, like Forrest and myself have been talking about it for the last uh, several months and we're like, can you imagine what would happen if Axie unlocks India for this, right? Or countries in Africa or Pakistan and, and yeah. so on. So I wonder how you guys think about that. And, and if, you, if you're targeting anything, any geographic regions of countries in particular, or is it more like we'll let our community do the work? Sure. I mean, so I think the most decentralized part of, of uh, Axie right now is distribution. Does that make sense? So it's like our players, our community, they have replaced the middlemen, right? Who have historically been gatekeepers of distribution, right? App stores, game publishers, right? These are actually the people who make the majority of the money in the gaming industry. And that's why play to earn works, right? Because we've cut out these middlemen and we're giving that value to our players, right? Our each player, each breeder is a publisher of Axie Infinity, if you if that makes sense, right? Because you can, if you make three Axies, you now have a copy of the game, which you can sell. Um, so basically, yeah, I think things like that, right? Like I can coordinate and I can talk to our community, uh, community leaders um, but yeah, and, and I think we do definitely want to see a lot of growth in Africa. And so I've been encouraging people to, you know, open up, to open up scholarships in Africa, um, you know, in India. Um, I think, I think the, a lot of these markets are just maybe a year or nine months behind the Philippines. The Philippines, I think was just like, you know, a, a lot of amazing factors that, you know, kind of worked out well for us a little bit ahead of schedule, but I'm seeing the same ingredients in all these other markets. So, um, so you might've already answered it a little bit there, Jeff, but just listening to the conversation now, I was thinking, I don't actually know if you specifically targeted the Philippines or if that was just like a fortunate um, happenstance. So maybe could you just talk a bit about like how that came about and how it's really seen like that much traction in that particular region sure i mean so I, th I think a lot of it right is a combination of like so 
uh, Philippines is typically a great test market for mobile games. Uh, mobile phone penetration is really high. Internet penetration is really high. Crypto penetration is re reasonably high. It's a very, they speak English, which is really important because we haven't uh, localized our, our game yet. Um, and yeah, a, a Filipino culture is very community oriented, very family oriented. So things can really spread like wildfire. Obviously the pandemic has been really hard there and the average wage is really low there as well. Uh, I did go to the Philippines and, you know, we met Gabby, right? Who started YGG is in a lot of other, um, some other right community champions. So I think it's also really down right to, uh, uh, I think, yeah, you know, it, I met Gabby in fall of 2018, which I guess is pretty, pretty early. And, you know, I think he was really evangelizing and doing a lot of really amazing uh, work in the Philippines for almost three years now, right? So, or, or yeah, basically three years now. So, uh, so I think it's a, it's a confluence of factors, but I think a, a lot of those, uh, none of those factors are maybe like long-term specific to the Philippines, right? Um, I, I am interested in ex going to a lot of emerging market uh, nations to maybe meet with the local Axie leaders there, um, empowering them more. Um, and, and yeah, kind of, you know, I, I think we can definitely, as a community run that playbook that got us to hundreds of thousands of users in the Philippines, right? Okay. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, it's good to know that. I, I can't believe I'd, I'd never really thought about it. I just took it for granted. It's kind of like, I'm. it's it's unknown to be honest. Like, I don't know, you, you get into like causality, right? And like meaning of the universe or something. Like, <laughs> Uh, it, it's, 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 I'm, I'm not totally sure, but I, I think it's a combination, right. Of, right. Like, uh, it's a combination of, okay. I went to the Philippines like three times, um, and met people like Gabby. Um, but then also I think there's a lot of like, awesome, there's a lot of stuff that makes, makes actually very conducive to growing in the Philippines, um, maybe ahead of schedule. Um, so it's a combination, I think. Cool. Yeah. Cause the, the next thing I was going to ask is, me and AG were speaking to Andrew Steinwald just the other week and um, a question came up around like crypto more generally. Do we need to educate people to get them into the ecosystem or do, do we let like the gamification and the incentives just do that for us? So that I can see a sort of similar question applying here, like obviously your growth lead. Um, do you see yourself needing to actually push in a specific direction to get that traction? Or is it a mixture of like you, you've kind of let it um, evolve organically because you've talked about the need to like moderate the ecosystem and the tokenomics to make sure that you don't grow too quickly. So the last thing that you want is India suddenly clamoring for Axie and you've got like 500 million people with mobile phones that, that want to get in at the door. Um, so it's yeah, just interesting to me how you kind of manage that. How do you see that? I mean, yeah, we're, you know, a lot, a lot of the stuff is uh, we try and do our growth projections, right? So I will make growth projections and then the engineers will laugh at me <laughs> or get upset with me. Um, and I'll basically say like, okay, we need, we're, we're going to have this number amount of my, my goal for this year is to have this number of users. Like, can you guys handle this from an infrastructural standpoint? So there's, I have a goal and I have a projection. And then I also try and merge that goal and projection in some ways. I sometimes ways I, I sometimes I kind of think that if you, just believe that something is going to happen and you say that it's going to happen, it happens. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I try, I try and speak things into existence, especially with our growth uh, pro, uh, numbers. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I think, I think, but we, we, it's very, very, very difficult to prepare for exponential growth, I will say. Um, and 
but yeah, we're, you know, we're going to get it's, those are all, these are all like good problems, right? These are all opposite problems that most crypto projects have. So yeah, we're going to just try and scale the servers as fast as possible. Um, and yeah, we're going to think, take things day by day and get 1% better, um, each day. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think that, I mean, well, it's not going to be like everyone in India on <laughs> just wakes up, right. And decides to start playing Axie within one or two days, right? We're going to see, oh, like India is like, India is in, right? Like we're seeing massive growth uh, data from India near the virus is spreading in India, right? We need to, we need to really step on the gas pedal in terms of scaling, or we need to put the brakes on the economy for a little bit to, to allow us to, uh, to, to allow us to, you know, handle this. So it's, 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 a, it's, it's, it's a fun <laughs> balancing act, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I think th there are several things. I think like um, I was talking to Doug Forrest a few months ago and, and we're talking about like the potential that play to earn and Axie has um, to unlock like financial services and like financial prosperity to, to a certain degree in emerging markets, right? And to me, it was like, uh, for some reason I drew the connection to like the missionary model of like spreading religion back in the day right where you'd have like missionaries go into africa and set up like a local uh mission in like an absolutely random place in mm. in in africa and then they would start um educating locals about this religion mm. and so i was thinking that it would be an interesting model for for axie where you can send like a missionary somewhere to a, a town in Africa, India, or village with like 20 phones. <laughs> we have one in Ghana right now. Oh, really? We have one named in Ghana right now. His name is Godwin. He's also a man of God, actually. So yeah, I think, you know, we actually always say like, we were looking for builders and missionaries, right? Like those are, these are like, I don't know. Yeah, I think like actually community members, they're like these warrior monks, right? <laughs> like they're just so fanatic and they, they're really into Axie. I think we all are. Um, so I think yeah, that's a very apt comparison and right. It is, yeah, it's more of a decentralized model of growth, right. Where, um, people, they have this fervor, uh, that, that pushes them, uh, to do this. And yeah, I, so uh, the reason that I'm bullish on Brazil, on Argentina, on Nigeria, Ghana, West Africa, uh, especially right now, um, Indonesia, Malaysia. Um, the reason I'm bullish is because I can think of right off the top of my head, you know, different missionaries in these, in these, uh, in these regions or in these countries that I think all have the potential to be someone like a Gabby. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting that you sort of saying that because I, when I thought of that model, I was like, it makes total sense, right? Like it, it just compares almost one for one and it's easier. I feel like in today's world to communicate to someone, um, an economic and financial opportunity than it was back then to communicate an absolutely different religion, right? Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm re really excited about that. On that subject, right, though, uh, you do need localization in terms of the language of, of the game, right? So, uh, for example, I um, onboarded like my parents to play the game, right, in April, and they don't really speak English. Oh. Um, so, and it's challenging for them, right? Like when they go into uh, a, a PVP, um, they try to look at like what what do what cards does their opponent have, and they just can't 
translator, right? So and, and it hampers like their ability to play the game. Obviously, like in in like proportionate to everything else that you have going on, this is probably less important. But yeah, how how do you think about that? And and are you guys working on it? Do you think it's going to be more like outsourced to the community to translate? And yeah, what's what's your take on that? Yeah, uh, I think localization long term is really important. I think one of the things is that Axie is an alpha still, still. And so we're like, okay, if we're working on an upgraded battle system, does it make sense to localize this one? Um, so yeah, it, it, it's something that, yeah, I think we can definitely, right, like when the time is right, we can definitely call on, right, people from the community to help to help us with that localization. Um, I, I think it could be maybe a combination of maybe like people who are really good at game localization as well as maybe advisors from the community to help them. So yeah, I, I think it's really important. I, I think that's going to unlock a lot of growth as well, for sure. Um, I think it's important and yeah, um, I, uh, that story um, uh, re resonates with me. So thanks for, thanks for, first of all, for onboarding your parents into Axie and, and yeah, they're, they're having a blast. Cool. So uh, Jiho, maybe you can talk a little bit about how you look at um, Axie's relationship with uh, gaming guilds and maybe more broadly, um, the relationship of like play to earn games with guilds because guilds are like economic actors, right? They bring in a lot of people into the game, but then those people often as play to earn players, they end up selling the in-game asset or in-game token, which can, you know, mess up with your, with your economy. Yeah. So how, how, how do you, how do you see gaming guilds fit into what, what you guys do? Sure. I mean, so right now, right, like, I guess what people think of when they think about these guilds, right, like YGG, they think a lot about like farmers, right, that are in general, right, they're, they're playing the game, they're getting SLP, and they're selling SLP. Um, I guess one other consideration, though, or another consideration, at least, is that, right, like, as guilds are expanding, right, they're either buying more axes, or they're breeding axes, so burning SLP. So basically, scholarships expanding is also, right, like, this is kind of part of the animal spirits of the Axie economy. And um, so, right, if, if scholarship managers feel like, right, like the, there's a lot of opportunity within the Axie universe, right, um, their expansion can also be a great source of growth um, for our economic engine. Um, that said, I do think that, right, what we're starting to see is also the rise of these guilds that will have different archetypes of players, right? So it's like, okay, at the beginning, you might start out as a farmer, then you might start to specialize as like a PvP battler, or maybe even become a breeder, or maybe even become like a sub manager within the guild itself then you might become like a content creator and even an artist right you may become a streamer um and then right like you might even become right like i, mean, I think these guilds will also right also have like esports teams as well right so uh yeah I, I think that there actually will be many different archetypes of users um from from within these uh, guild structures um so yeah I, I think it's not necessarily just as simple as oh like you know this guild it's good kind of right because then it gets players but they're also right, like farming and selling assets. I think that there is actually a, a huge umbrella of different potential user archetypes that come from these uh, guild structures. Yeah, I, I, I can't agree more with you. Like if I think about it, right? Like if guilds entering the space and having people who, who farm the token actually significantly messes up the game. To me, what it says is that the game economy is unbalanced, right? Because for play to earn 
to work, right? People need to sell the token for for fiat, right? That's that's the whole nature of of play turn. That's how it works. So if like a lot of people selling causes your ecosystem to to basically collapse, then it's more a problem of the design of your ecosystem. And and I totally agree that like guilds will bring and are bringing, I think, a lot of um, value add outside of sort of just new players and and so it'll be interesting to see but i i don't i don't buy the argument that the guilds are bad because they're farming that doesn't make sense to me definitely i'm a lot of the guilds are also right they're you're using this a lot of slp that they get right to create more scholarships as well so um they're they're doing a lot right they're onboarding people they're making content they're educating they're even doing right like they're speaking to local organizations. And I think that these are, these are gonna become political forces as well. Like I think that in the future governments and and I, I think different like lobbying groups will pay uh, Axie communities and Axie guilds um, as part of like a lobbying process. That's, uh, that's fascinating. Um, there is something that I thought about um, a couple of months ago and, and I wonder what you think about it or if you've come across someone trying to do this which was basically um, working with um, NGOs or, or nonprofits to help onboard refugees onto, onto Axie and, and provide some sort of income for refugees when like, they migrate to a different country or you know, just give them opportunities. Um, have you guys thought about it or have you seen anyone talking about it, doing something like that? It's it's still early stages. I think there are some nonprofits that are really interested in what we're doing with Axie. Um, I, so I, I think that that is definitely like fertile ground to explore. I you know if there are any NGOs or anyone who knows any NGOs that you know I think would find our mission of creating economic for freedom for people through gaming. Um, I think yeah, please reach out to us or Dark Forest, and then yeah, we might we might be able to uh, have a fun and engaging uh, chat on this yeah absolutely um i heard you on one of the recent podcasts i think it was um maybe uh raul paul one like real vision one where you were talking about how i think 25 percent of um, axie players are unbanked and and um that so there's a question that I want to ask you is like, are you guys thinking about providing real world like financial services, whether it's a bank account or credit card, debit card to, yeah, to, to, to Axie players? Is that something that you're considering or, or is that? I mean, I think, I think the Ronin wallet, right. It's like, I, I believe in a bankless future. Um, yeah. So I think the Ronin wallet, right. It's like digital wallets will become your, right. Like it's your in-game inventory. It's your bank account. <laughs> it, it's everything, right. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I think, so what we have around 1.7 million Ronin wallet downloads, I think now around like 25% of these people are people who do not have bank accounts, but they now have a Ronin wallet, uh, with some value, um, in these wallets. So yeah, I think it's natural for us to explore going into card issuance. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff that can be added on top of that. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's going to be an, an important, uh, part of our strategy moving forward. That does bring bring up like more regulatory uh, scrutiny or just more regulatory compliance, right? Like, how how are you thinking about that 
that's actually how that's actually in my opinion like a strategy to uh a strategy to help with all these regulatory issues right so basically so the way that card issuance works right is like you go to like a large card issuer um and then you typically they'll have like a local bank partner right and typically these local bank partners especially if they have like the uh these digital asset licenses they're typically right like they can be regulatory allies for you because they have right like some favorable licenses or whatever um, within their local jurisdiction. This typically means that, right, like they're seen as crypto forward or crypto educators, right, crypto kind of influencers within that country's financial system. Um, so then, right, like you can, you know, maybe at some, right, like use that relationship to then talk to, right, like the central bank or, or whatever of that, of that country. So I, I see, yeah, card issuance is actually a way to educate uh, regulators and lawmakers on the benefits of this amazing movement. That's, yeah, that's great. And do you see the card that's being issued, um, would it be issued like against the Ronin wallet, right? Because that that basically makes it pretty much bankless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. No, that's that's fascinating. I think you guys have one of the better uh, platforms to, to sort of enable that in, in the regions where uh, it's most needed, right? So that's um, that's really awesome. Uh, so this is something that I think we've talked about a little bit, and I know that a lot of people are wondering it, it is around like Axie IP and an ability to uh, ability for others to build on top of Axie on Ronin using Axie IP, maybe user generated content, mini games, um, sort of similar stuff to like the way Roblox and Minecraft work. Um, how do you guys currently think about that? I like, I understand the reasons to protect IP um, up, up, to, up to now and, and perhaps uh, into the future, but like what's, what's the current uh, thinking on, on that issue? Sure, I mean, so yeah, you wanna, you wanna make sure that, I don't know, like, there, there is some like level of protection but to be honest right like at the end of the day our moat is our community and our network effect um it, i don't think that laws to be honest or whatever or any anything like that or can be too effective against right like protecting ip um I, that might just be my opinion to be honest as well so but yeah i, I think like over time we definitely want to open up axie um and ronin to uh to people who want to build amazing experiences um whether they be axie related experiences or just uh, other types of nft gaming related um content so i think like long term yeah it's going to be impossible for spam mavis to build everything that our community wants to interact with and to play with um so yeah long term like we definitely need like a a very kind of an approach similar to to maybe sandbox but even more and more open right done in the in the true like spirit of web3 so I'm, I'm really excited about that um but i think right now right like you don't i, I think like right like becoming a platform for developers is almost like a, a meme <laughs> these days right or like especially over the last couple of years where everyone is building platforms for devs nobody was building something that people want to use right so our approach right is just to get users aggregate users and then the developers will come because you have the users right so we just focus on getting users growing our community um, and, and the technical aspect actually kind of comes later, even though we think that we are we're one of the top teams in crypto and our ability to actually build for uh, developers as well. That's, yeah, that's great. Um, so can we talk a little bit about decentralization of, of Axie, right? I think, first off, I, I think it's like an important um, 
part of, of crypto. And I think the way you guys think about it in terms of decentralizing the game and, and making players owners sort of fits with the ethos. But my understanding that that, that roadmap or that timeline to decentralization is is fairly far out because like there's still a lot that you guys want to want to build. Um, like, is there actually a, a timeline for you guys to start bringing in or start building out like more of a DAO structure? Um, or is it more around like, we have all of the stuff that we want to still build. And once we build it, then we'll, we'll look at decentralization or not. I think both. <laughs> um, all right. So, I mean, I, I guess, right, there are different layers um, of decentralization or aspects, right? So, uh, so our, I think our players, their number one, uh, the number one thing that they want is, right, they want to be able to sell their assets to anyone anywhere in the world. They want to be able to turn their time and effort into real value. They want to own a piece of the game. Um, so I think we're doing reasonably well at, right, like fulfilling those, those desires. Um, in terms of right, like a true decentralized governance model, right? I, I think like you know, it's still that's kind of stuff is still very experimental, and we need to learn more. And then, yeah, in terms of like I guess Ronin's decentralization, um, it's something that we definitely want to upgrade over time. But yeah, it, it's kind of right, like we're we're just we just take like a lean. Uh, we we're taking a very lean approach to this, where we're iterating um, and building in public. Nobody knows. Like I don't. I, I think like there's too much dogma and idealism in crypto where people are having these ideas of what they should build based on like ideals rather than like what users want necessarily, I think. Um, so I, I, think it's, I think that's good. I think it is important actually to have very, very strong opinions on both sides, um, uh, but I'm, I'm a moderate. Um, so so I, I, I'm kind of more of a pragmatist than a moderate where uh, I, I think like, yeah, decentralizing, decentralization is amazing. Um, so it's kind of like, I think like the ideal ecosystem is like this perfect harmony between like top-down coordination and bottom-up contribution. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I think what, or at least like in my experience um, at, at the co-op, right, there is, there is this minimum viable decentralization point, right? And you, where you still need centralized decision-making and that level of centralized decision-making is different based on where you are as a DAO, right? And as you sort of grow, as you develop, as you progress, you can decentralize uh, more and more. But as, as that process like happens, right? You, you, you still need to ensure that there is effective decision-making and effective ability to sort of execute and that requires a certain level of centralization. So yeah, definitely agree with you that there's a spectrum there and um, understand like where you guys are coming from on, on the community aspect, right? Like you guys have one of the biggest communities in, in crypto, um, biggest discord, uh, most players and, and so on. Like, how do you, how do you manage that? Or like, how do you utilize that or harvest that like, yeah, would would be keen to to understand how how yeah how how you take advantage of of such a community at that scale. Yeah, I think so. First of all, like you can't control a community, <laughs> um, but you can uh, encourage them. You can recognize their contributions, and and you can uh, help them. Um, so the way that I think of it is that right, like we want to help people talk 
and talk about Axie and introduce Axie to the world in the right way. So um, I think I can be helpful by talking to community leaders, content creators. I even have right, this document called the Axie Creator Guide or Axie Creator Manual or Bible. I can't, I can't remember it, but uh, and basically, right, it, has, it's, it talks about everything, like, you know, what is Axie? Like, how does the economy work, right? Like, what kind of content you should make? Like, what kind of communication style works really well? So this is my way of kind of ensuring, right, that there's this, like, understanding at least of at least how I or this the core team like thinks about Axie and um and, and our strategy and so I, I think right it's uh, you can kind of encourage encourage them give them the tools uh to be awesome um but yeah I think like on a, there, it, the, the magic of Axie is that also it's just it's inherently beautiful and viral it's something that people just like do a double take at when they when they look at it and um yeah I, I think that's i think that's the magic here right it's it's very community driven organic um like we just went through the loop thing right so i, I also want to remind the ecosystem the nft space that you know when Axie first launched it was just metadata right so uh, uh, people don't remember that because it's such ancient history and it's not necessarily a story that people uh even remember there was only 10 people there <laughs> when it was just metadata and then we, the art was released so yeah, yeah, it's the the community is amazing. Like, yeah, if you guys are listening, like, thank you. Um, let's 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 keep crushing it. Jumping back to the decentralization question quickly, with with such a large community, do you find that they're asking this question about decentralization uh, to you a lot, or is it only when you come on podcasts with people like me and AG who are in the crypto space and we say, "What are you doing about decentralization?" Yeah, I think it's I think it's uh it's a little bit both, right? Some of some of the OGs and people who are the OGs and who are also very important to this movement, you know, they, they do have questions about it or you know that they're interested in it. Um, I think like the average, you know, the user that we're onboarding, <laughs> you know, they don't they still don't understand why we can't recover their seed phrases um after they lose them, right? So it's a, it's 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 a big uh, broad uh, array um, of feelings on this matter. Um but yeah, I, I think that like over time, um, as more more uh, capital gets involved in the ecosystem as well, like I think there will be more uh, questions around it. So it's something that we should definitely prepare for. Um, it's just it's it, it is definitely right. Like I, I think it's just this idea of progressive decentralization and also like structured decentralization, maybe where we want to see like what models work. I think the biggest risk of uh, centralization is having a small community. To be honest, right um so so yeah yeah thanks thanks for that jeff so wanted to maybe change gears a little bit and, and talk about uh play to earn as as a movement as a concept uh, as an idea so when do you recall like when you first thought that play to earn was like a viable economic model for parts of the world I think when I think when the price of SLP hit between three to four cents, um, that's when we started to see people get really excited about this this potential for play to earn. Yeah, I, I I mean I think as soon as I saw the Uniswap pool get created, I was like, this is the future, right? Let's like, I think in the it was like in the future, right? It's like gaming communities they're going to be like judged on their Dex liquidity. Um, so there is actually something that I wrote in January of twenty twenty. And it's almost two years ago um, about right. It's like DeFi and play to earn, like merging and creating this new future of gaming. Um, I'll, you can hunt it down. I think it's on the Axie Substack. So I think we were quite cognizant 
um, of right, like of what was happening. Um, it just took the market some time to mature and, and catch up to us. So when you were designing like the the ecosystem, right? Like have like maybe you can talk a little bit about how how that process went, right? Because I would say that your ecosystem is almost perfectly balanced, right? And yeah, you do need to make adjustments from time to time as things develop, but there is there is so many different flywheels within the ecosystem, right? That all work and that all balance the game out. Um, so would love to understand like how you went about creating this um, this system um, and, and what like some of the conversations were or how those decisions were made. Uh, yeah, I think it's just a lot of like iteration and talking to users, uh, being data oriented. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's a combination, right? I mean, uh, a lot of us, uh, like we have, you know, we're, uh, my, so my background is in or like military and economic history. So I was like really into monetary policy. Um, so this kind of stuff, like really just, uh, it was kind of like uh, an academic interest of mine as well, like growing up. Um, and then we have a lot of people on the team who are quite good at math and, you know, I guess systems thinking um, as well, like Trung, uh, for example. Um, I mean, especially in the early days, did a lot of uh, work um, on, on the economy. So, uh, yeah, I think it was, just all, it was iteration. I think, you know, so we saw CryptoKitties in 2017. You know, CryptoKitties was play to earn for two, around two weeks. Um, I turned about 0.5 ETH into 30 ETH, um, but then right, the, the economy kind of collapsed, right? Because uh, things weren't balanced, right? It's like each act, each kitty, right? Like each kitty was not the result of time and effort. Um, it was just, right, like, uh, right. So so basically I think we we uh, saw like the early principles of like, uh, you know, how play to earn could possibly work. And yeah, so 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 I think like right like I, so so those three principles I think were pre were pretty like crystal clear to us early on right like being able to sell your asset to anyone anywhere in the world being able to turn your time and effort uh, into uh, real value um, so these are the kind of things that we were trying to ingrain into our ecosystem while we were designing it um, and I think the rest of the stuff were kind of like emergent behaviors um, that kind of flow from those principles. So was the play to earn was like the division from the beginning, right? Like when when you mm -hmm. were uh, when you first released the, the battles, right? Mm -hmm. Did it already have SOP um, like mm -hmm. built into that system? Yeah. So so I, I think like maybe people I think maybe people like internally had different opinions on it to be honest I, I i personally thought that yeah actually you know like in order for us to be huge like i think we, we wanted to basically create like sustainable play to earn um that, that was me I, and i i remember having like talks with trung about this and there so yeah i, I mean I, I think that was definitely within the scope an auto battle system that gave experience points rather than slp um, and that, that system was play to earn in some way where you could basically earn experience points and use them to breed axes as long as right, the axes could be sold for more than the breeding fee, right? There's this, there was this mechanic of play to earn. It wasn't super obvious, right? A lot of people, they wanted, right? Actually, the idea for SLP is kind of like, I think, um, inspired by the community because a lot of people come into our Discord asking like how they can earn tokens by battling their axes. Um, a lot of people thought, just assumed, I think, for some reason, that they could do that. 
And also it was like, I would go to events or conferences and we would notice that people aren't, people aren't really interested in NFTs. Um, they're interested in like tokens or ERC twenties. Um, so it was like, I think we had this idea that, right. Like the, the contrarian way to think of this was to, okay, how can we layer like fungible assets into an NFT ecosystem in, in a good way and create this kind of like uh, harmony. Yeah. And so today, right. You have like several parts of that ecosystem, right. With like Axis themselves, access token, SLP token, you have various other parts that are non-financial, right. Like within the game, you have PVE, PVP, you have the breeding, so how do you how do you make decisions around balancing uh, balancing the the economy right i think you've made uh, i want to say three adjustments in the last four four and a half months so since since may um adjusting mostly breeding costs but also the the in-game uh rewards and the daily quest um how yeah like maybe take us into like the room where you guys are all sitting and, and making that decision. Like how, how does that conversation go? Sure. So, I mean, I think it's, it's a combination of, okay, looking at the growth data, uh, looking at certain charts, like the, you know, average SLP per DAU, right. Um, the average, um, the difference between the mint and the burn ratio, uh, right? So, uh, so we, we also like we talked to people like, well, specifically mostly uh, Delphi Digital on on a lot of this stuff, and, and they're super helpful on it. Um, so yeah, I think it's about like looking at the right data, um, and and then also like doing growth projections, right? So it's like it's not necessarily just about okay, what is the current demand for axes and SLP, but what is the projected future demand? So it's okay sometimes to have like an imbalanced economy, to be honest, if this is gonna create a lot of SLP to create a supply, right? The amount of SLP, for example, needed to supply axes for 10 million people. If we think that 10 million new people are gonna come to the ecosystem next year. I think sometimes the frustration from the community is when we're in a, when we're in a phase of a little bit slower growth, right? SLP price might be going down, uh, but we're kind of, you know, we're, we as a team are more bullish about our uh, growth projections than the community. All right, the community, right? Like a lot of them, they're kind of, they see the, they see the present. They don't understand maybe what's happening like too much behind the scenes and, and how confident we are in, right? Hitting our roadmap goals. Um, and uh, yeah, basically hitting our growth projections. Maybe we could be a little bit more communicative around that. I think there's also like, I've been talking to right people that I really respect from the traditional gaming space. And they've actually said that we've done a really good job of right balancing this idea of like transparency from within crypto, but also right this idea of mystery and excitement and hype and uh, that traditional game developers are really good at uh, building out. So it's, it's a balancing act. I think we're the first to have to deal with this. Um, so we're learning along the way. Yeah, I would say from the perspective of like, um, so I I manage uh, like a scholarship. It's relatively small, right? And and I also play myself. So it's it's a bit challenging in terms of like you can't really plan ahead, right? Like as a as a manager, you can't really plan ahead, and as a player, like the breeding adjustments usually have fairly limited. Uh, impact on on the prices but like the adjustment to the daily quest was quite substantial to to the player right and there is 
there is no, there is no, like if, if it was a DeFi project, right, you'd have like a forum post and there's basically going to be discussion on it and it, it would all be in the public. And, and here it's, it's sort of behind closed doors a little bit and, and you, you struggle with uh, planning, planning mm-hmm. for it. Um, so I don't know how you guys think about like given a bit of a like mm-hmm. longer or like advanced notice on yeah. this so people can plan a little bit uh, further ahead. But I, I would say that I think you guys manage the, the economy quite well. Um, and yeah, like some players might be you know, disappointed or upset with the price of SLP, but that's in my mind, that's, that's just noise. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, I, I think it's a fair point that it can be a little bit hard. Right. So it's like, I, I think we mentioned this in the post last night. Right. So, you know, long, right, right now, right. It kind of does take a little bit more active management from us. Um, we, we believe uh, that that is the best option for now, but long-term we'd like to outsource it, right. Either to like an algorithm, intelligent machines, or basically members of the Axie community. Uh, I also think that, you know, there should be an auto balancing system that basically, right, like adjust the AXS and SLP portions of the reading fee to be stable in dollar fiat terms, um, as well as in relation to each other. Um, so that, that's something that we, 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 I think I've talked to our, to our devs about, and it's like, it's, it's a little bit diff- more difficult. I think the, the decks will, will help um, allow us to do that though. Yeah, I think uh, like, because what you're saying, right, is these adjustments are made based on what's happening in the economy. Like it's it's based on kind of the actual data points that, that you're collecting. The way that so, I see it, right, yeah. The way that I see it is like the community is voting through their actions, right? So it's like if they stop reading or if they stop playing, right, I'll, we'll just look at the data and, and, and we'll say, okay, like what can we do? Um, so this is the same thing with the PVP balancing, right? Like people are like, you need to have, like, you need to like, you know, take into account our feedback. Cause like, well, I take into their account, we take into account their feedback by looking at the data that they produce, right? Um, it, it's actually, I think the, the data, so the behavioral is actually a more accurate, under, um, more accurate sometimes than what people even think that they think, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think like, I tend to look at things like, you know, the SLP price and, and the burn and uh, SLP created, Axie bleeding and, and things like that. When I try to understand like what, like what is actually happening in the ecosystem. So in that sense, right? Like, like you said, the, the players and managers are telling you what they think of the ecosystem and where the imbalances are. You guys sure. just yeah. act on that. All right, so let, let's talk a little bit about like NFT gaming uh, more broadly. And, and like something that we see now is that every game is launching usually on like a, parallel level one, right? Whether it's Solano or Mutable or whatnot, or building their own sort of side chain or platform like Engine is obviously building um, their new ecosystem on Polkadot and, and so on. Um, you guys sort of made the decision to, to build your own uh, side chain a while ago. Like if you were building a new NFT game today, how would you approach this this problem yeah, it's, it's a little bit difficult uh i think i think yeah it's it's getting to the point we're in maybe a little bit of a uh a, a no man's land in terms of i mean so ronin is right like we're not we're not really uh you know it, we haven't really opened it up to other game developers yet but we're working towards that um so yeah i think like there will be good options um such as ronin 
for for great game developers to be able to build without and be able to focus just on right like uh, what they want in their game rather than having to focus on the infrastructure as well. Um, so yeah, I think I think that is going to mature. Um, you know, I would also you know I'm I'm I'm, I'm you know definitely willing to chat with really uh, promising game developers on uh, on their on their approach and. Um, right, because like uh, to be honest, right, it's like you need to actually build the game first, and then you, uh, the blockchain elements, right, that can come like I don't know, two a year or two years later once once the game is released. So I don't even think that you need to even choose your infrastructure um, uh, for 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 a while, probably. That's that's an interesting, um, that's an interesting aspect. I haven't really thought about that before. How do you see like, I guess if everyone builds on different chains, right, like how how do we how do we have an interoperable ecosystem or do you think like the interoperability between games is sort of um a myth or, or something that we can aspire to but is not realistic yeah so so you know i think gamers they want to be able to sell their game assets they want to be able to sell their in-game resources and they want to be able to own the pieces pieces of the games that they play uh, do they want to be able to take one of their game assets from one game into another. Um, maybe like, I think crafting, right? Like, it's just like, okay, if we say, you know, what are, what are some other games out there? Um, if we say there's some, there's some other, let's say that let's pretend that there was another popular NFT game, right? And we could say, oh, like maybe we want to do some co-marketing <laughs> or maybe we want some of their players to play our game instead, right? So it's like, okay, you could then say, okay, like you can, you know, bring that game asset into our ecosystem. Maybe you can deposit it into the Ronin Bridge, for example, somehow, um, and then it'll show up, and then you can use that as a crafting ingredient. Um, something like that, I think, could work. Um, but I think it requires, to be honest, it requires large ecosystems that are attacking each other, uh, perhaps. Yeah, I, I would agree because, like, basically, right? If if a game came to you guys and they had whatever twenty thousand daily active users, right? And they were like, let's build, let's let's collaborate where we can bring some assets into your game and you can bring some assets into your game. Like for you guys, it doesn't really make sense, right? Like you're basically in that scenario lending your brand and your credibility to a game that has significantly less um, users and, and less sort of to offer um, to you. So you almost need like enough of these like big players that can then develop uh, develop that inter uh, interoperability and like ability to bridge assets. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's like to be honest, right? Is like asset interoperability is that what's important, or is it like I don't know, social interoperability, right? So it's kind of like you have these relationships that are across all these different platforms and games right now. Um, I, th I think that's what I find super interesting. Uh, yeah, the asset interoperability, like, I don't know, it could be a meme. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Well, we'll have to, you know, do some more experiments. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, and I, I believe in a very collaborative, to be honest, I believe in a, a collaborative future for uh, player and gaming economies, at least in the early days, where, right, it's like, until we hit 4 billion people on earth playing these things, I think there's going to be a lot of left, of meat left on the bone. Um, okay, Jeff, I think we're getting pretty close to the end here. I wanted to ask a little bit about every time we speak to you, you're always super busy. Have you had a time to sort of look around what else is happening in the NFT gaming space? Has anything caught your eye? Um, and what about in terms of like the competitive landscape? Is there anything 
that you think is making you guys um, sort of double check what you're up to or, or speed up in certain areas? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we always have our own uh, way of looking at and assessing the space. Um, I think, yeah, there are a lot of games that are, you know, maybe 1.5 years away. So I think like it's it's definitely the balls in our court to expand uh, upon our lead, expand on our community, grow our community uh, over the next 12 months or so. I think the next 12 months are going to be really important for the future of the Axie Nation. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's the way that I see things right now. Uh, I, you know, but I, I'm, I'm definitely super bullish on other player and games, um, in the future. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I've been, I've been looking at, uh, uh, nine Chronicles, um, Aurori looks interesting, I guess, just to name, name a couple, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's just it's still, I think very experimental. And uh, I think, you know, Axie's the only thing, right. That's really combined okay like scalable infrastructure a fun game um with this with this uh economy as well as this beautiful community so i think i think it's like it's very difficult um and and it can be hard to predict and i think i mean one of the things right is like you can look back at what what nft gaming projects were building in 2018 um but i think also it's like kind of like the clock is running out for a lot of them as well um so yeah, and this is kind of how this kind of how I'm looking at things right now. Uh, did you see many games uh, building like er, from let's say earlier this year, or is it more like once you migrated to Run and 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 the ecosystem really blew up, everyone started like designing or talking about, oh, we're gonna build the next like the next Axie, or we're gonna build like, the first AAA game, and and now. Yeah. It's like, it, well, it takes, like you said, 18 months, 24 months to, to build one of those. So everyone's talking about them, but like realistically, we can't really expect anything to to come out until perhaps second, third, fourth quarter of, of next year. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's going to be an uphill battle for, for a lot of these teams. I think yeah, it's, when, when our growth blew up, I think that's kind of what like, I think created the market uh, for NFT played iron games. Um, so that was definitely the birth of an ecosystem and a market. So yeah, I mean, there's there's massive um, there's massive funding going into the space. I think it's all like great uh, for everyone involved. It's going to be great for founders. It's going to be great for users and community members and, and investors as well, in my opinion. So yeah, that's what we're seeing. I, I think there's yeah, it's uh, to be honest, like you know, I think my approach would be you know something like that's a little bit more lightweight and to get something playable. Like I think there is a I think, yeah, I think getting something out there uh, quickly to iterate on is is been part of our strategy. Um, it's like, I'm not sure, like, this meme of, like, making a super AAA game, like, I don't know, like, I play AAA games, like, uh, they still have, like, the same problem that <laughs> it's, it's yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, like, what that even means, to be honest. Um, so, and then I'm also, I, I, I do think that one of our, uh, one of our advantages is that we're, like, Right? like we're mobile friendly and mobile first even um so it's like okay triple a game that is actually great requires like quite a, a powerful device and then it's like you're basically blocked you can't get to four billion users if you require a, a powerful device to play your game so it's like maybe maybe they have like more niche uh, audience in mind yeah i i'd agree in terms of like if if you require a laptop um the the market shrinks um quite quite drastically 
um, especially, right? Like if we talk about play to earn being uh, targeted towards emerging countries, um, in those countries specifically, the like the laptop and, and PC ownerships are much lower. So if, if you develop a play to earn game but require a laptop, it's uh, it's a bit of a challenge um, in terms of what like how big your target market is. So yeah, like DC said, I think we, we come to an end here. Uh, wanted to ask you like maybe you can give us some projections, right? Like some internal projections, so maybe optimistic projections that you have. Uh, for uh, for Axie for the next you know six months or twelve months whatever whatever you're comfortable with in terms of like the the number of uh, users or the number of axes or like DAX volume would be interesting like what would you see running DAX volume being in like twelve months and, and things like that like whatever you're comfortable with yeah it's, it's a good question so yeah so basically I was looking at I was actually modeling this out. Uh, a little bit so I was looking at okay maybe like the base case scenario for 2022 or but all right let's just say 12 months from now right uh you know I think like you know five million axi holders is reasonable right so it's like okay in order to in order to accommodate that we would need around 15 million more axes uh, I think uh, a little bit more optimistic would be right like seven uh, 7.5 million uh, Axie holders, right? We, we currently have around 1.7 million Axie holders just for reference. Um, so that would be uh, required, right? Like another 22,500,000 uh, um, Axies, right? I think like the most, the, the most uh, optimistic scenario for, for 12 month growth might be, right? 15 million uh, Axie holders, and that would require like 45 million uh, new Axies, right? Um, so how much would that, how much would that burn? Um, well, uh, that would be, right, like 32, uh, right? It's like 5 million would be 10 billion SLP uh, would be required to be burned. Um, I think there's only three or 4 billion SLP uh, circulating right now. Um, yeah, uh, 7.5 million holders would require around 16 billion SLP to be uh, burned. 15 million Axie holders would require 31 billion or 32 billion SLP uh, to be burned. Um, so this is one of the ways that you can uh, kind of look at it in terms of the decks. Uh, in terms of volume, it can be hard to project. Um, I think like maybe let me see. I need some more. I need some comps to be honest to, to be able to look at, to think about this. I think like I think around like so the sushi swap is at around like four point five billion TVL. So I think like around like you know two two bill. We'll probably have a lot lot fewer pairs. Um, probably more focused within the Axie ecosystem or the player ecosystem. So I think like two bill would be a victory in my, in my mind. Um, for, for like twelve months from now, in terms of TVL, uh, it could be a lot a lot more to be honest. Um, we'll, we'll see. I, I think this is kind of a new experiment because I think I think this this does have a chance to be one of the most used, if not the used, most used decks of all time. So. Yeah, that's uh, it's going to be fascinating to uh, to see the decks usage, and I'm I'm curious to see how you guys go about like figuring out which pairs uh, which pairs you have, and and like if if you're going to integrate some sort of incentives. Uh, maybe something you could tell us now is like, are you are you using sort of a, a sushi swap um, 
UNIV2 style MM design, or are you looking at like concentrated liquidity um, and, and V3 type MM? Yeah, right now, for now, it looks like almost something that's more V2, something a little bit more lightweight. Um, I think I don't. I think we don't necessarily need to get too <laughs> experimental, maybe. Um, and it's also right, like we also, our user base is a little bit, it's not like, I think V3 uh, is more for institutional liquidity providers, whereas I think like the archetype of the liquidity provider um, for, for, for the run index might be like more similar to, it might be a lot of first time liquidity providers to be honest, right? Yeah, I uh, agree. I think that's uh, that's probably right, the right decision. Uh, I think like the, the V3 really uh, benefits a, a very narrow and, and specific cohort of users. It's it good for traders, right? And it's good for institutional liquidity providers. I think it, like the, it, it kind of maybe crowds out the, even I don't provide too much liquidity on, on V3, to be honest, because um, it requires right some like research and stuff like that. And so, yeah, yeah. I think uh, there will be automated strategies developed for, for V3, and, and there are some that are developed now that sort of auto-manage that for you, but it's still, like it's still quite challenging, still institutional friendly. Awesome. Uh, Jiha, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, it was great, regret chatting to you and uh, look forward to sort of seeing what, what you guys deliver uh, through the end of the year and uh, we'll be having you on early 2022 to sort of update this conversation. Dude, it was it was so it was so much fun. You guys know a lot about the ecosystem. So I always like I love jumping on on you know, these types of conversations. And yeah, thanks for everything you guys do for the space, the ecosystem. Um, thanks for being interested in Axie. And yeah, uh, let's, let's, let's talk again soon. Thanks, Jeff. Catch you later.